recording from Boulder, Colorado on January 7th, 2017. It's Dr. Zen and the greatest of all <laughs> sinners. I am here with Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon, the greatest of all sinners, and my brother Paul Augustinelli, who we call Dr. Zen. I'm your host, Ray Augustinelli, for this podcast in which two men of great faith and even greater doubt engage in discussion about pop culture, sports, science, history. It's the events of the day as seen through the lens of eternity. Oh, it's the seven deadly sins meets the eightfold path. It's 30 minutes or so of time that you may <laughs> never get back again. Sounds great. Yes. <laughs> hey, what the hell? Happy New Year's <laughs> to you guys. This is our first podcast of 2017. Happy New Year. Good to Happy see you. Happy New Year, Ray. Hope your first week has been going well. I thought we'd kick off actually by uh, sharing maybe a little bit about New Year's resolutions, if you have any, or if you have any thoughts about the whole resolution process in general. What do you think, Dr. Zen? Yeah, it's been a great year. I think it's going to be a year of birth and creativity and new things happening. I'm not much one for resolutions. I don't like sort of putting a little dogma fascist leader in my head telling me that I need to do things. This is just my personality. I'm not knocking anybody for whom this works, but for me... If, fasci if fascism works for you, dude, yeah, if it yeah, works if for you... Everybody, if you want to have an inner Mussolini, go yeah. for it, dude. I mean, heil my self-improvement agenda, you know, or whatever whatever it is. But I like, I like setting intentions, and I like um, releasing old things that no longer serve. And I did. Just we, I was on retreat over the turn of the new year. We on New Year's Eve, we um, did a ceremony. It's called a puja ceremony, where we wrote, wrote down things that we wanted to let go of, things like fears or insecurities or judgments or resentments, and also wrote down things that we want to bring forth into the world. And we threw them into the fire and we danced around the fire. Um, so it, that was kind of a cool thing, and I like that kind of mindset. And that's what I'm hoping for too: greater, more, more. More love, creativity, fearlessness, and joy. Great. I love it. Mm -hmm. um, I am, I love resolutions. I'm pro-resolution. I'm pro-intention. Mm -hmm. I'm pro-dancing around fires. Wow. Um, pro-fascist. Little leaders in your head. <laughs> pro-fascist. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm anti-fascist. But um, almost anti, uh, almost anti-nothing else. I, I This year, um, I, I'm crazy about planning systems and this and that. I did... Franklin Covey or some flavor of that forever. I have a personal constitution that I've invested dozens of hours in. It's probably 30 pages long. I've never had something. So resolutions are hard, though. It's something where you're like, I'm going to lose more weight or that sort of thing. To me, you have to have some specificity to it, some long-term goals, intermediate steps, going down to daily tasks. In fact, I have never not accomplished one of my Whoa, wow. I am a something and then drive it to whatever it is. You are you become the thing you say you want to be. Right. Wow, and and uh, I think that, you know, if you do it right, you almost can't help but to mm. do that. Mm. And, and an example is we've talked a little bit about I've just discovered that I am a reader. I want to be that person. Mm -hmm. I want to be that is a avid reader. Mm -hmm. And so what does that mean? And that's been fun to kind of drive that down. And, and how many times a day am I reading? Or do I carve out a time or do this and that? So I want to be more of a reader. Mm -hmm. And then I also want to be more content. Now, that's going to be a harder one for me. I'm not sure what that looks like with daily task lists. But, mm -hmm. you know, there's research that shows that if you're just thankful every day and you write a few things down, it seems that uh, those people are healthier and happier. And that's 
that's not shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. some of those sorts of things, mm-hmm. uh, be better to myself and people around me, that sort of thing, more love, mm-hmm. uh, less fearfulness for me. I'm mm-hmm. full of fear and anxieties and those mm-hmm. sorts of things. I want to get rid of those. So I'm excited Good. about this year. That's great. I'm going to give you my resolution. And now that I think about it, or now that I hear you, I think I'm actually violating a couple of the precepts you just outlined about nice. good resolutions. So I'm going to be very abstract. Um, and I'm not sure this is this is sort of trackable, but it's um, I want to consume less and create more. Ooh, okay, mm. and I and I think I've become very attuned to to how uh, consumptive you know we are, maybe as Americans or maybe just as humans, uh, consuming media products in addition to consuming uh, physical products like food and stuff like that. I'd like to do a little bit less of that consumption, putting things into my body and into my eyes and into my ears. And do some more creation. I love it. That's great. I I just finished a a documentary on Netflix called Minimalism that deals with exactly that. Really? The the sort of a a consuming society and how it's led us uh, Mm -hmm. to a spiritually very bad place. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's wonderful. And I don't think it's... I I think that the next time we talk, it'd be cool to ask you about... There are going to be specific ways Mm -hmm. you're like, I consume this and that. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sounds great. Well, we've touched on some very uh, kind of enlightening themes here, I guess in our intro, but I do guarantee our podcast listeners that we will talk very soon over the course of the next few minutes about aliens, about robots, and about sex. Nice. And possibly the interaction thereof (laughs) amongst all those things. So we're going to get there and we're going to go there, but we're going to start with a science-related topic, um, which leads into our alien question. It's about uh, fast radio bursts. That's been sort of the the topic of the week that got me thinking about aliens and and just... uh, for our listeners, the fast radio bursts are these series of radio wave transmissions, kind of like pulsars, but they don't keep pulsing. They sort of stop pulsing. Um, and scientists have just localized the source of a lot of these as a dwarf galaxy three billion light years away. Um, and the cause possibly being a, a magnetic neutron star interacting with cosmic plasma um, or possibly aliens. Because, hey, let's face yeah. it, when you yeah. hear sort of signals coming from space, you start to think about, hey, somebody is sending us signals. Now, the fact is, it is quite unlikely that these are aliens, but it did got me thinking about you guys and what you guys would reflect upon when you think about aliens from the perspective of your relative cosmologies, the Christian cosmology or the Buddhist cosmology, and where, if at all, alien life forms fit into that. So give me your your, your reflections on this from the Buddhist standpoint, Dr. Zen. Well, when you turned me on to it, I went to the Scientific American site, and you can actually listen to these nine bursts that they've come up with. Mm-hmm. And I did listen to them, and they're, they're a series of these little cosmic burps and you you listen to all nine in a row and your mind goes to definitely an advanced civilization capable of building the Death Star. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, like six it or seven, maybe there. not, but you get right. nine in a row right. like that and it just, boom. Right. It, it, not it, a forest animal. It goes there. Darth Vader. I... <laughs> I, I don't know about the alien. Obviously, we don't know about it, but I, I will say that I find this um, this argument about the probabilistic argument about there being the likelihood of alien civilizations to be a little bit kind of cockamamie, right? So, sorry, the, the number of planets, the number of planets in the universe is estimated to be, I looked it up, Wikipedia says so, 10 to the 24th, okay, which is... One million billion billion planets out there. Okay, so it's not just billions and billions. It's actually millions and billions and billions Whoa. of billions mm-hmm. that are out there. And then they say, well, because of the just the sheer number of that 
the, the sheer size of that number that it's likely that all the constituents come together for intelligent life and then the birth of civilization. And, and I guess I just look at it and say, well, what if we needed one million, billion, billion and ten? To create that kind of diversity. (laughs) Why does that big number say, you know, there is something incredibly unique and special and all of the all of the variables that had to come together to create the silicon-based life form that goes up and or carbon-based life form that goes on and then generates <laughs> consciousness. I mean, who knows where that all came from? So the probabilistic argument doesn't kind of resonate with that. me. Okay. You know, my dreams and hopes are like, yes, I do hope there's, I was love science fiction as a kid. I still love great science fiction tales. The, the movie Arrival, big thumbs up, go for it, go see that. Aliens coming in with a different kind of consciousness and, and awareness. So I hope there are, but I, I don't know. You're, you're putting a gun to my head to answer this, okay? Yeah. And I just want to say, can you please take the gun away? <laughs> and, and, and if not, my friend, Seti Gorgon 21X has something for it. Wow. <laughs> okay. Wow. He's already got alien friends. So. <laughs> what do you think, uh, Great Small Sinners, alien life form from a Christian cosmological standpoint? Well, as is so often the case, your cockamamie is my compelling. Um, you know, nice. I have spent I have spent my entire <laughs> life um, in, in just immersed, marinating in conspiracy-type theories and stuff that's out there. And I, I read every Argosy magazine that had a UFO on the cover or Bigfoot or anything <laughs> And uh, I've I read uh, just a million times Eric Von Daniken's Chariots of the Gods oh, yeah. and Charles Burnett's Bermuda Triangle uh-huh. and all of that stuff. So I, I have a little bit of, I think, confirmation bias going on <laughs> with me because when you heard some random static I was certain uh, that through the radio bursts, I was hearing something that sounded just like Flirting with Disaster by Molly Hatchett. (laughs) Is that right? But that might be my own bias putting something on there, you know, putting some uh, a little twist on it. So the universe, um, to me, and and we're talking about the, you know, the the Drake equation that essentially says that um, it's not only, it's probable, it's likely that there's going to be planets that would support life and thus almost would have to support life out there. And I do, I do find those probabilities incredibly compelling because it's not where there's a number where, wow, it could be rare. It's the Drake equation says that it, it almost has to be there. And, uh, and so it's compelling to me. Now, why haven't we heard from them? Or maybe we are hearing from them. Um, by the way, Dwarf Galaxy was the name of my band in junior high. <laughs> is that right? Wow, yeah. how coincidental. Yeah. Uh, so um, the fact of the matter is, is that cosmologically, so why haven't we heard from them? I think it's just space is so darn big. That's that's what I want to, you know, that's my contribution to science. Yeah. Space is so crazy big, but it really is enormously difficult probably to travel and to send signals long distances. And of course you have the problem of the fact that whatever you see is going to be hundreds or maybe millions or maybe hundreds of millions of years behind whatever is really going right. on. That yeah. sort of problem mm-hmm. is tricky too. Mm-hmm. So um, as far as cosmologically, um, I find that uh, that it's it's problematic. I think that um, I'm reading uh, Bill Bryson's uh, short history of almost everything. I think that's the name of the book, and it's spectacular. And it talks a little bit about the problems that dinosaur bones caused in, in, in the consternation. Mm-hmm. But to me, that's a, a lot more of a limitation of man's mind rather than some kind of limitation on God or the cosmology. I, th- I think that it's it's certainly possible um, for there to be aliens. I think there's certainly possible for there to be silicon-based life forms. I think that 
all of those sorts of things, would they have been able to be conceived of and talked about by a, a Hebrew mind at the time, mm-hmm. like 747s and mm-hmm. and uh, and airbags? And you know, we just there's not a lot of that either modern. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a, a certain amount of at the time that that's what they were writing about. So mm-hmm. I don't think that it's a slam dunk that that caused that Christians should be very troubled by the mm-hmm. idea that there would be others out there. Right. So this might be challenging. To Christians, but the fact that aliens are not talked about necessarily in the Bible, but right? Or you know, yeah. or maybe they are. I mean, yeah. that's the interesting thing mm. because there's races of giants. There's um, there's ancient ones that are kind of referred to and and, and hinted to, and, and giant creatures and those sorts of things. So <laughs> you would like more than that because <laughs> it would have been really prescient and powerful if if it was predictive in some ways, right? Um, and I think that that would be powerful. But this stuff is, I love it. You you know, it's like I gave my daughter a, a, a copy of the secret um, history of Twin Peaks, which is a loony uh-huh. just document. And and I've spent my life just Im- immersed in uh, projects Twinkle and Grudge and, and Blue Book and all of this yeah, stuff. The Sparkle, stuff. yeah, okay, it's right. great stuff. Good. So they're out there. Of course they're, they're out there. Of course they're stupid out there. Stupid even say it. <laughs> Why are we it around around this It's a question of when, not whether. <laughs> they're out there. Okay, hey, well, this week in Celebrity Death, which is unfortunately a topic that we've been able to cover a lot of weeks in the latter part of 2016. And indeed, this past week, we had a few passings as well, George Michael being one. But I did want to get your reflection on a different one, something a little bit more generationally appropriate for our generation, which is Carrie Fisher. And as we know her mother Debbie Reynolds also died but let's talk about Carrie Fisher give me your guys uh, sort of favorite memories or reflections on Carrie Fisher so my favorite Carrie Fisher moment is uh, her as the mystery woman the psychotic ex-girlfriend of Jake uh, Elwood in the Blues Brothers oh, right. That's really right. fun and <laughs> she always said that that was a fun role for her to play um, and then but she's enormously funny and talented um, I, I enjoyed her in When Harry Met Sally. I've enjoyed, I, it's not something I saw that I didn't like her in. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess she was in Shampoo and some other fun movies, and she did really well. Um, it was interesting to see Steve Martin get punched in the face for saying that, you know, that when he was younger, he was she was the most beautiful creature in the world. And then he found out that mm-hmm. that she was also witty and funny and smart and all of these great things. And and but I, and I, I'm a little bit upset about the war on male nerds, um, of which I am, uh, you know, the, at the Vanguard charter charter right, member. Right. <laughs> and so you know, I hate people. I didn't have to travel too far to have Princess Leia be a sex symbol to me. Okay, <laughs> she didn't slip on a banana peel and wind up in that metal bikini. That was definitely an intention. Uh, thing that went on, yeah. and she was okay. lovely, and and but she was more than that. She's sassy and spunky and a leader and all those good things. And, right. And so, um, you know, I, 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 we will miss her, and I think it's going to be fascinating to see how she is treated digitally in the upcoming movies. I, I think that one's in the can with her potentially, but after that, and not to have a Rogue One spoiler, but she also makes an appearance digitally in Rogue One. Really? And, okay. uh, and, mm-hmm. But it, there was also, there's that uncanny valley moment um, where it, you know, CGI still has a long way to go, and I'm just not sure <laughs> that they're going to be able to have a big part uh-huh. with her anytime soon. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see what happens. Yeah. 
I'm a little scared of the digitized version upcoming with, 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 with Carrie Fisher. And I think that's probably because I'm so much in love with the early <laughs> Carrie Fisher. I'm going to pull out my young geek card and stand loud and proud as card-carrying member of that geekdom. Hard for me to answer the question of favorite moment. I'll paint you the picture. <laughs> 13, 1977, 13 and a half years old, been reading science fiction exclusively and assiduously for three years or so, loved the genre, loved it, 13 and a half with obvious implications to my pubescence, <laughs> and along comes Carrie Fisher as the kicking ass, space opera-ish, cutest, most amazing heroine of my favorite genre. My body is going crazy. Everything about my life pivots at that moment through the first through the first installment, and then metal bikini leash with Job of the Hut. Not my favorite. Could not. It could not be that oh, no. moment. It could not be that moment. I oh, will. It could absolutely could not be that moment. But no, her whole being as Princess Leia um, rocked my world. And so my favorite. It's not about that. It is about worship. And gratitude. <laughs> so, just for the record, wow. it is not about the metal Makiti. Right. It no. Is no, not no, no, about that. no. Can no, we no, no. I'd like to just deconstruct that moment for a second because you did bring it up and we can't avoid it. But I think part of the immense appeal for that being the iconic vision of her for most male nerds and for many beyond that is not just the metal bikini, it's the contrast with this Hulk of sort of this turd-like job of the Hut figure, right? And that's what also makes her so compelling in that moment. And then, moments later, she's fighting. She's the warrior princess as well, not just this belt, you know, Playboy centerfold or whatever, lounging there. She is the warrior aspect of the personality yep. at play there, too, jumping across to the hover raft or whatever they call yes. it there. Never escape. loses her feistiness, yeah. right? And, and it's not that uh, where the the woman uh, pulls off a lucky shot because she's closing her eyes, right. and, uh, and it appears she's like kicks. It's it's like a early boss character where yeah. it's undefeatable. You know, you'd yeah. have to take an army, and mm -hmm. she <laughs> kills him single handedly <laughs> yeah. with her hands. You know what I mean? Right. Really cool. Right, I like that. All right, very good. Hey, let's move on. Um, sports topic: Alabama versus Clemson. We've touched on college football a little bit in uh, recent weeks. It is the bowl championship series championship game on Monday. We like to get your guys' calls, and it's worth saying, Doctor Zen's been pretty good on his predictions, including My the goodness. Cubs' victory in seven. So uh, let's start then with you, Paul, and get your prediction: Alabama versus Clemson. I'll go ahead and shoot from the hip, and I'm going to pick an upset revenge victory by. Oh, revenge victory! I love it, yeah. and and I take a lot of. I mean, these picks mean more to me than they do to you, Doctor Zen, and you win them always. You're so it's always a little bit crushing that yeah. I cannot seem yeah. to pick right. uh, <laughs> the correct the winner of these sorts of things. However, I'm going to give my pick in the form of a haiku at the end Ooh, of this, wow. which is really a great tease. A lot of listeners just left. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sick to death of Alabama. I hate Alabama. I just do not. I'm so over Alabama. I want Nick Saban to win so that he can be crowned un, uh, without any argument the greatest coach in college football history so that he can move on and coach the Indianapolis Colts wow. and we can have some semblance mm -hmm. of order restored to <laughs> college football yeah. and everybody's just not playing for second place. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and so um, and, and also Alabama is such a joyless winner, such a bullying uh, 
ugly hearted Victor that it's just very hard for me to like them at all. And Lane Kiffin spinning out and, and Sarkeesian coming in and, and, you know, the team refusing to shake hands with the other players before the Washington game, the semifinal game, stuff like that. I just hate it. So, um, I love the bowl season. I had mm-hmm. so much fun watching all the great bowls, the crappy bowls. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Carry a little printout of all of the bowl games in my wallet wow. so that wherever I'm at, I can just try to <laughs> at least check a game nerd. or do this and that. And uh, really had a lot of fun. And I will enjoy the game. Mm-hmm. And and I do give honor to the, the greatness that Alabama has shown us uh, mm-hmm. This if they win. I think this will be five mm-hmm. in eight years, which is yeah, right. stunning. Uh-huh. Stunning. Kind of UCLA-ish under yep. John Wooden. I mean, right. stuff that's just never happened before. Probably will never happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, here's my pick. Crimson Tide rolls. Yawn. Victory certain, Right? Right. Orange covers the spread. Oh, okay. Cowardly pick. (laughs) But eloquently expressed. So thank you very much for that. So we do have uh, the Buddhists tending to win on our sports bet. They're going to go one up if Alabama takes it as planned as the favorite. Christians go up one. I'm sorry, other way around. Uh, uh, Buddhists go up if Clemson uh, upsets. Christians go up if... Uh, Alabama wins. Buddhists and Christians across oh, the yeah. country. We are, just, we, it brought some something yeah. to this game, some energy to this game. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the, the, the centuries-old conflict continues. Continues, exactly. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> All right, we're going to go there now. As promised, you know, we talk a lot about artificial intelligence and the singularity and uh, uh, robotics and stuff like that. And um, I think it's time that we just hit uh, the, one of these topics head-on, which is sex with robots. And I would like to get your guys' reflection from the standpoint of Jesus or Buddha. What would they have to say about this? Um, you know, we're going there as a society. Let's let's get out in front of this and have you guys reflect on it from your understanding of your relative faiths and, and the founders of those faiths. If Christianity is correct and there's a heaven or hell, there's going to be a moment with people who are spending an eternity in hell where they'll be able to reflect and they'll be able to cast their minds back and say, what was the moment? This was the moment at which I wound up. It was the tipping point at which I went to hell. And it's probably, uh, for me, uh, it's going to be this moment. It is right, right now. <laughs> when I'm talking uh, blasphemously about Jesus and sex and robots. Um, I, we, we don't know of uh, Jesus having sex during his life. He was human. And so he uh, likely had thoughts that were of sexual in nature. Um, we don't have any evidence that he ever did anything with that. He certainly had very positive, loving relationships with women. Women were enormously important in his life. Um, and so I, I think that um, I, in Christian land, I think that uh, sex tends to be uh, focused on more of a procreative uh, role. And that there is a, I mean, there's this, there's this spectacularly, wonderfully naughty Song of Solomon um, which is just <laughs> great, great erotic literature. Um, and so, you know, it's celebrated at some level and certainly within the constraints usually of husband and wife and that sort of thing. Um, so it would Jesus, I don't think, it would focus on the, the metaphysical, the supernatural power of that connection 
and not so much on just the being pleased aspect, which seems to be so uh, to the forefront regarding sex with robots. You know, my wife has uh, an avatar that she sends me emojis, <laughs> uh-huh. and uh, and and they they I, they're exciting to me. I I'm attracted to them. I mean, we're living in a confusing new brave new world as far as sex with sexting and 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 all the things that we can communicate and all the ways we talk to each other and and is that right or wrong i'm not certain you know can you have a can you have a robot that looks like your wife uh, is that cheating um you know those sorts of things uh, so for for me you know i'm all for working those problems out in a very practical way you know <laughs> oh i see experience sure. is that what you mean How sure. you have to <laughs> but, but um I, you know i think that uh from uh, you know i think jesus would Rather, uh, rather it be with humans. Oh. <laughs> what would Buddha say? It, it's such an amazingly powerful subject, and it always has been for centuries and millennia. I mean, we we still don't really know what Buddha and Jesus, you know, felt about sex with humans necessarily, let alone <laughs> sex with robots. So we're getting very speculative. But so powerful gets at our core intimacy, at our core cosmic power, because it's progenitive. Love the way you talk about it, Jeff. It's the same sort of bringing that care to that and honoring the power of, of our you know sexual identity and our, and our sexual power. Spectacularly naughty. The autobiography <laughs> of the greatest of all sinners. <laughs> That's it. That's your words. I love it. Yes. There's a little tale that actually a Buddhist teacher told to introduce a talk on uh, the power of sexuality that that really gave me a chuckle the other day. Two little kids by the by the corner, and they're they're going to cross the street. Six or seven years old, boy and a girl. And the boy turns to the girl, and he's been brought up well by his parents, and he's gonna he's gonna be gallant, and he's gonna say, "We were going to cross this busy street. Can I hold your?" hand and cross with you? And she turns to him and said, yes, you can, but I want you to know that you're playing with fire. <laughs> <laughs> it gets more complicated thus, from there. I thus see. has it ever been, thus it <laughs> always will be. Um, you know, Buddha, scripturally, the words that have come down from what he has said about um, sexuality is that he respected it as a natural part of life. He was married and had a kid. Um, before he left to go off on his his ministry, if you will, his practice and then his teaching career. Um, And although we have this image of Buddhist monks being celibate, there are very traditional monks who do follow precepts of celibacy, but most Buddhists and certainly all lay Buddhists are not, um, that's not part of their practice or their teachings. The Buddha actually said to to avoid unlawful sexual intercourse. And actually, abstain from intercourse with girls who are under the protection of their father, mother, brother, sister, relative, not with married women, not with female convicts, and not not with those who are betrothed. Otherwise, it's a part of life, and you work with it as a part of your own understanding and your own growth and your own growth and self-awareness. So, can that happen with sex with a robot unless it's criminalized, Uh which I don't see that happening anytime soon. Um, I think there would be some care given to, well, why are you doing this? Kind of what you were getting at, Jeff, in terms of, is this just kind of a pleasure sort of thing? And and is that a good enough reason? And are there some alienating forces that might come in if Mm -hmm. you sort of substitute a robot for somebody else? Those would all be proper considerations, but um, uh, we got to live it out, like you say, not necessarily. (laughs) So awesome. Okay. So a thumbs up from Buddha and Jeff (laughs) is going to hell. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I'm already starting to think about what is going to be our outro music today because I've, I've put some outros on over the past 
couple of weeks. And you mentioned a, band a little while ago, you mentioned Molly Hatcha. Got me thinking about sort of the heavy metal, yes. the death metal, all these things about metal. I was never a big fan, but I know you actually were a fan of kind of heavy Absolutely. metal. And you, you listened to it today, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I've got some it, a question for you guys. Really? Uh -huh. And that is, is that when you were in, I mean, you guys are a little a few years older than me, so it was probably high school or that sort of thing, and, and your people are listening to Black Sabbath or Iron Maiden yeah. or Metallica or Judas Priest. And so, and I really enjoyed those bands. I, I felt, and, and I, I mean, uh, it was not in my little community. There were a lot of <laughs> folks that were all jazzed about me listening to that type of music. But there was a certain power, a visceral power, a primal power to that type of music. But I never in a million years would have been able to predict how Metallica and, and these types of bands have kind of conquered modern culture in a strange way. Mm -hmm. you will, you'll go to, uh, especially sporting events, yeah. where you want excitement, your team, you know, the, the, the lights in the house go down and the, and the, and the lights start spinning and then your, your team bursts out and what are they bursting out to? Well, it's, it's like Metallica's Master of Puppets or it's Judas Priest or it's Crazy Train, you know? Right. And, and, uh, and I just never in a million years would have predicted that, they, that it would have that kind of cultural coin yeah, right. at, at yeah. our age that, that they would have been taking over. And so it's not, it's, it, of, of all the rock and roll popular songs you can play, it's really songs that were very much fringe. That kids yeah. were not, you know, yeah. you weren't, your parents did not know you were listening to this music. You know, you were hiding this. There stuff. was a certain anger implied as a listener to that movie, that music back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, right? I that, think that's That fair. wasn't so mainstream, right? right I mean, right. it wasn't as angry and, as and punk, I hope but, uh, it, I hope it wasn't all anger. I hope it was more energy because like mm. you said, I think that punk... And it, the, the anarchy of that, there yeah. was an anger yeah. uh, underneath that. Yeah. But um, anyway, just um, who would have thunk it? Who I mean, would have thunk it? Nutty. Right. So, um, and then uh, I wanted to leave you with a closing thought. Please Cammy. do. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, we've, we've tackled on some uh, cosmological questions, some questions with supernatural and metaphysical imports. And I'd like you to finish with this question that might be the most important one you faced all uh, throughout this podcast. Um, have you ever noticed how sparkling clean air ducts are in cinema? <laughs> yeah, air ducts. Yeah, so, in movies. Yeah, whether it's Die Hard mm. or Bad Santa, okay. people are crawling through uh, ducts uh, often to escape or to you know to get somewhere. Never dirty. There's this, there's got to be a century worth of muck and dead creatures and everything in there, and instead That's, it's just sparkling clean. You can eat off it. it. I never thought about about it, but you're it's a very fair observation. Well, I'm thinking about it now, furiously. I, I, I had never thought about it before, and it's a testament to your genius and your insight and your observational yes, abilities that yes. you have picked up on this. Because as soon as you say it, we recognize that's true. Mm -hmm. We have never seen a dirty duck. I'm gonna. I haven't thought about it before. I'm gonna take the ball and run with it, if Whoa. you will, and give it a shot. Um, a metaphor crawling through ductwork, clearly a metaphor for the birth process and being born. Whoa. Okay. Actually, the original Star Wars has an element of this too, as they jump down into the garbage chute and down into that womb where they have Ooh, a rebirth experience. That's right. Yes. But, Shoot so, those experiences and we are a culture notoriously afraid of looking the messiness of both death and birth Ooh. in the face. So these are sanitized images of the birth process. I came with questions. 
I got answers got from it. Dr. Zen. That's what is that is the wisdom of <laughs> Dr. Zen. We in can't, this case. We can't look Zen. a dirty doctor in the face. <laughs> Dr. Zen, <laughs> Zen kind of drops the mic on that one. So. <laughs> well, that is our mic dropping moment. That is a wrap up for the podcast for the week. We will see you all again next week on Dr. Zen and the greatest of all sinners. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. <laughs>